Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. How old is the universe, ladies and gentlemen? From Genesis. Because a lot of people will say, look, if you just take a plain reading of the text, it appears that the universe is quite young, just thousands of years, especially if you consider the fact that it seems anyway that the days are 24-hour days. That's what people will say. What is the actual age of the universe just from Genesis? Don't bring any science into it or any of that stuff because we didn't know this kind of science back when Moses wrote Genesis 3,500 years ago. So, oh, of course, he was under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but those people wouldn't have known anything about the size of the universe at that point or anything about Big Bang cosmology or any of those things. So how old is the universe just from Genesis? Well, as we pointed out the past couple of shows, you're always bringing assumptions to the text, no matter uh, whether you're trying to understand what the Bible means or a newspaper or a book or a magazine or an internet article. You're always bringing certain assumptions to the text. And... Those assumptions have to do with what we call natural revelation, that God has written two books. He's written the book of nature, and he's also, through uh, his representatives here on earth, written the Bible. And so we're always bringing assumptions to the text. But let's look at the text uh, in some detail and maybe expose any assumptions we might have. Uh, the first verse of the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right, let's stop right there. It assumes, this passage does anyway, that you know what a beginning is. It assumes you have some idea of, of what God is. It doesn't explain who God is. It just says God created the heavens and the earth. It assumes you have some idea of cause and effect, that uh, the universe had to come into existence by some kind of cause, because that's what the text appears to be saying here. And you have to have some rudimentary idea of cause and effect to say that God created. God created the heavens and the earth. What does that mean, the heavens and the earth? Well, Hebrew had no word for universe. So heavens and the earth is supposed to mean the entire show, the entire universe. Now, just in this one verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You might ask, when did God create the heavens and the earth? Well, the verse just says... In the beginning. Does it say when the beginning was? No, it doesn't. You say, what about the days? Well, the days don't begin until verse 3. And in verse 3, it starts talking about the earth rather than the heavens and the earth. In fact, if we keep reading into verse 2, verse 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Okay, wait. You see what just happened here? Genesis 1, in the first verse, is talking about the universe. In the second verse, it zooms in on Earth. So, did the days have anything to do with when the universe was created? I mean, you could interpret it that way. 
But you could also say, no, it appears the heavens and the earth are created, meaning the universe is created, before verse 2 even begins. And that's the verse that begins talking about the earth. So it doesn't really matter if this interpretation is correct. It doesn't really matter how long the days are. It seems that Genesis 1, 1, into verse 2, leaves the age of the universe indeterminate. And as I pointed out a couple of shows ago, this is the point Dr. John Lennox makes in his book, Seven Days That Divide the World. The first thing we need to do before we try and figure out what the text means is we have to figure out what the text says. And what the text says is that in the beginning, God created the universe, the heavens and the earth. And then the text says, let's talk about the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, to my young earth friends, I think it's perfectly legitimate to interpret uh, Genesis 1, if you want, in a young earth way. That's certainly one of the possible interpretations. But... I don't think it's correct to say it's the only interpretation based on what I just said. Because the universe is created in verse 1, in the beginning, and then the text starts talking about the earth. So even if all the stuff that happened on the earth happened in 24-hour days, it doesn't mean that the universe, therefore, is young. It could mean, but it doesn't necessarily mean. And... Look, whether or not the universe, according to the Bible, is thousands of years old or older, you don't get rid of the need for a creator. You don't get rid of the need for a creator at all. Doesn't matter how far back you go, you still need a creator. If space, matter, and time had a beginning, then there must be something that transcends space, matter, and time that brought it into existence. So... I don't think Genesis 1 is necessarily teaching the universe is young. I think it's teaching that the universe or the age of the universe is indeterminate. And a couple other things you need to keep in mind when you look at Genesis 1 is the fact that um, the days, even from the Earth perspective days, uh, don't really begin until day four, because that's when the sun is made to appear. How do you have a day before you have a sun? Because that's how we measure the, the day, by, by the sun. But if the sun doesn't appear till day four, how do days one, two, and three, how can they be 24-hour days if you don't have a sun? I mean, it could be. It could be that God is just telling us in a poetic way, not necessarily a Hebrew poetic way, but a poetic way how he created uh, or how he formed the earth and brought order to order from chaos, which was a theme back in the ancient Near East. How did the gods bring order from chaos? Of course, in Genesis 1, it's how does God, the ultimate God, bring order to chaos? He doesn't have to fight other gods. He just speaks and it happens. So you have to keep in mind that there are, there are things about the text that don't neatly fit in with a young earth creation account. Nor does it demand an old earth creation account. Well, I don't think that's the purpose of the text. 
Again, let's go back to what we talked about the past couple of shows. And we said that if we really want to understand the text in a deep way, we got to bring ourselves back into the mindset of the ancient Israelites, because that's to whom the text was written. The text was written to them and for them, but it was also written for us. It wasn't written to us. It was written for us. Now, back in the day of 3,500 years ago, when the Israelites had just come out of Egypt, they're not walking through the desert for 40 years going, I wonder how old this place is. They're not asking the question, is microevolution true? Is macroevolution true? How, how old? They, they're not asking the questions that we think Genesis 1 may be addressing. What they want to know is, who is the true God? Is it Yahweh or is it the Egyptian gods? Is the Egyptian creation story true? Or is the story that Moses is telling us, this account, is this account true? That, those are the questions they're asking. And as we just started to get into at the end of the last program, the creation accounts of ancient Mesopotamia, when you think about Mesopotamia today, you might as well just think about Iraq. That's about the area from which it came, modern-day Iraq. That was Mesopotamia. And the creation accounts that came out of Egypt, they were polytheistic, where the gods spontaneously generated or just uh, somehow aren't explained where they came from. Uh, the gods are at war with one another. The gods create from material. The gods have to struggle to bring order to chaos. In fact, in the Babylonian account, Marduk has to kill another god. And then from the other god's corpse, he creates the universe. Okay? You don't get this from Genesis 1. You get the opposite. Well, it's hard to say opposite. But you get a different account from Genesis. Instead of polytheism, in Genesis you have monotheism. Instead of God spontaneously generating, uh, in Genesis, God just is existing. He's self-existing. He is the uncreated creator. Instead of the gods being at war with one another, as you get from the ancient Near East accounts, God is at peace in Genesis, the God. Instead of gods creating from material, like Marduk creating from the corpse of another god, small g god, uh, Yahweh creates from nothing. Instead of gods struggling to bring order to chaos, in fact, they got to fight one another to do so, in Genesis, Yahweh, he just speaks and it's done. Instead of the gods getting tired and needing helpers, as you get in the Mesopotamian and Egyptian accounts, Yahweh, the god of the world, he has no needs. He's all-powerful. Instead of the Mesopotamian Egyptian accounts where man is a slave to serve the gods, in Genesis, man bears God's image. And he has the authority over creation. He's supposed to tend to creation. He's supposed to act like God in creation. Instead of in the Mesopotamian accounts, where you get not only creation accounts but also flood accounts, you don't have this impersonal, no-covenant kind of situation in the Mesopotamian accounts, uh, well, I should say that's what you get in the Mesopotamian accounts. They're, the gods are impersonal. They don't have a covenant with human beings. But in Genesis, you have a personal covenant, or Yahweh does, with humanity. The other interesting thing about the Mesopotamian Egyptian accounts is it's very ethnocentric. 
In other words, Babylon is number one, or if the account comes out of Egypt, Egypt is number one. Egypt is, is, is the preeminent place. Isn't it interesting that the Hebrews write a text, and it doesn't say the Hebrews are number one. It's ethnically neutral, the Genesis account is. Just God creates all people. He creates man. He doesn't say, well, he's a Jew. He just says he, he creates man, creates all men. So why am I going through this? Because when you look at Genesis 1, it's a fairly high probability that Genesis 1 is a polemic against these other accounts that were in circulation at the time in that area. That would make sense to the people who lived at that time. Whereas it wouldn't make sense necessarily to talk about Big Bang cosmology or however, whatever current theory that happened, you know, 3,500 years later. Those people back then wouldn't have known that. That wouldn't have made any sense to them. I mean, you can still say that Genesis 1 aligns with Big Bang cosmology, but it's not teaching it in a scientific way. It is teaching that God created appears out of nothing. And that's, of course, what Big Bang cosmology says, that there was a creation that came out of nothing, that space, matter, and time had a beginning. But Genesis 1 isn't teaching it in a scientific way. It's teaching that truth to a culture that existed 3,500 years ago, so they would go, oh, Yahweh's the true creator. Yahweh creates human beings. Yahweh has a covenant with us. So, as we said in the last program, you could just know how to read and understand the essentials of Genesis 1, but if you understand the culture that was happening at the time, you get a much deeper, richer, nuanced understanding of Genesis 1. Just like when you read Exodus, you get a much deeper, richer understanding of what the plagues meant if you know the Egyptian culture than if you don't. So, how old is the universe according to Genesis? Well, I think it leaves it indeterminate. And if, even if you want to say the days are all 24-hour days, as I already mentioned, it appears the heavens and the earth, the universe, that is, is created before the days ever begin. And then you've got things, by the way, going on in the days, in the days that appear to take longer than 24 hours, like the plants grow. I don't care if you put miracle grow on stuff, right? It doesn't, it doesn't grow in 24 hours. And, and, and uh, Adam names all the animals in the latter half of the sixth day. Well, I mean, even in Adam's day, there were so many animals, it wouldn't, he wouldn't be able to do it in that period of time if it's just a 24-hour period. In fact, Brad Stein, a Christian comedian, kind of has a bit on this. He says, when, um, when Adam uh, first started naming the animals, he was real creative. He'd see an animal come by, hippopotamus! He'd see another one come by, rhinoceros, by the end of the day. Ox, cow. I mean, he's just out of gas, right? I mean, he can't, he can't be that creative for that long. And then if you look at the seventh day, by the way, the seventh day hasn't ended yet. We're still in the seventh day because God is still at rest, according to Hebrews 4. Well, if the seventh day is longer than 24 hours, maybe the other days are. You just don't know. Now, again, as I said earlier, if you're a young earther and you want to interpret 
everything that's being young, have at it. It's, it's a plausible interpretation. But it's not a test for orthodoxy. It's not. You don't have to believe the earth is young to be a Christian or to be saved. Okay? And no matter if it's old or young, you still need a creator. You still need God at the beginning. So while it's an interesting question, I don't think it's a question that's at the center of Christianity. And even some of the strong young earthers would agree with that. Even Ken Ham himself would say, okay, yeah, you don't need, you don't need uh, to believe the earth is young in order to be saved. Okay, but he thinks there are other implications. And, you know, you can check those implications out if you want. Um, but I think that Genesis 1, from the text alone, leaves the age of the universe indeterminate. Regardless of whether you import any uh, science or anything else we know from natural revelation. It is interesting that um, we do this, we import... Uh, what we know about nature to interpret the text sometimes, even though we don't think we're doing it. Like, for example, why do we think that the Bible, or from the Bible, that the, the earth is going around the sun? Because the Bible talks about sunrise and sunset. Well, because after we get natural revelation and we realize, yeah, the earth is going around the sun, the sun is not going around the earth, we must go. We then come to the conclusion. Well, the Bible is talking in an observational way when it says sunrise and sunset, and we still do that today in our scientifically advanced society. If you watch the news tonight, the weatherman is is going to say sunrise tomorrow. You know, six fourteen. He's not going to say Earth rotation will become apparent at six fourteen. He is going to use observational language, and so should we. Or so is the Bible. The Bible talks or speaks in everyday language. That's what the Bible's doing when it says sunrise and sunset. So we're using from outside of the Bible principles to interpret what the Bible means. And that's unavoidable. It is true. You can use bad philosophy to interpret the text, but it is not true you can use no philosophy. Everybody's bringing assumptions. Everybody's bringing presuppositions. Everybody's bringing certain factors or beliefs to the text to try and discover what it means. Everybody's doing that. The only question is, are you bringing the right factors or the right assumptions or the right principles to understand what the text means? Now, the bottom line is this, ladies and gentlemen, all truth is God's truth. Therefore, there is no conflict between the Bible and the natural world. There may be conflict between some interpretations of the Bible and the natural world. Like, for example, if it is really true that the universe is 13.8 billion years old, and you think the Bible is teaching the universe is only 6,000 years old or whatever you think it might be, then that would be a conflict. But that's a conflict between interpretations. It's not a conflict between the Bible and the natural world. It's a conflict between your interpretation of the Bible and your interpretation of the natural world. One of those two is wrong. Either your interpretation of the Bible is wrong or your interpretation of the natural world is wrong. Because look, in science and the Bible, assumptions, observations, and interpretations may be mistaken. In the Bible, language may be figurative or observational rather than literal. We talked about that a couple of shows ago. So look, there's a lot more to this than might meet the eye. And I don't want people to think 
that you have to be a PhD, as we talked about in the last program, to understand any of this stuff. I do want people to understand that if you are a PhD and you do spend a lot of time investigating these issues, that you will get a richer understanding of God's incredible word, that you will be able to go deeper than the average person. The average person is going to get what he or she needs to know in order to be wise unto salvation. That's the purpose of the scriptures. Remember from 2 Timothy 3, that's the purpose of the scriptures, to make you wise unto salvation. But if you spend time studying not only the Bible, but the ancient cultures in, in which it was written, you will get a much richer idea of the revelation. And I think we ought to expect that if God is infinite, that his revelation would be able to be understood in a basic way by people that don't have a deep education, but would be able to be understood in a much richer way for people that do. So that's the bottom line, ladies and gentlemen. So I hope this has been helpful. Uh, You don't have to send me emails and try and explain to me why you think the earth is young or old or any of that, because actually... As I've pointed out here on the program, it's not a test for orthodoxy. It's an interesting conversation. It's an interesting theological discussion we can have about it. But it's not going to change whether or not Christianity is true. It's not going to change whether or not you're saved or not. It's just interesting. If you want to send a question in, you can. Just go to hello at crossexamine.org, hello at crossexamine.org. And by the way, if you want to do learn more about these issues... There may be still time to sign up for Steve Meyer's Return of the God Hypothesis course. And you can certainly enroll your 6th to 8th grader, maybe 5th to 8th grader, in the Let's Get Real course. That's starting this week, taught by the great Chanda Fulbright. I'll be assisting her a little bit in that course as well. Just go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You will see it there. And Lord willing, I will see you here again next week. God bless.